It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Heart disease kills more women than cancer, diabetes, and stroke. It will claim the lives of one in three women, killing more than 400,000 each year. The good news is that a majority of these cases may be prevented through education and lifestyle changes. Joining us today to talk about the female heart and how we can change our genetic potential is Dr. Mark Menelisino, author of the book, Heart Solution for Women, a proven program to prevent and reverse heart disease. Dr. Mark is the medical director of the Menno Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He is board certified as an internal medicine specialist, board certified in holistic medicine, and board certified in advanced hormone management and anti-aging medicine. Welcome, Dr. Mark. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Dr. The rate of heart disease for women is an alarming statistic. Is this number on the rise? It is, and really all heart disease, uh, it it started to go down a little bit with all the new technology that we developed and the deaths from heart disease, but now it's starting to rise with the increase in diabetes and the increase in obesity, and really all chronic illnesses increasing, including heart disease, particularly for women. So do you believe the root cause then is what? Lifestyle, um, lack of exercise? What do you believe is at the at really the heart of the issue. That's a great point, Sean. And in my book, I talk about all the different things that really come together to sabotage a woman's health. Women are this beautiful symphony, and it's their hormones, their endocrine system, their digestion system, the way they fend off inflammation, and it changes during a woman's life. So it really depends on where you're at and what your particular challenges are. But we've really developed a society of less exercise, higher stress, less nutritious food, more toxins in our environment. There's just so much stacked up against us that it just makes it harder and harder to be healthy. Dr. Mark, do men and women present heart issues differently? Well, think, Joan. Do you ever remember seeing a movie of a woman clutching her te- chest and dropping to the ground with a heart attack? No. No, but we see it with men. And the classic is the elephant standing on my chest, and that's how men tend to present. For women, it can be much more subtle. It might feel like an anxious moment or even an anxiety attack. A lot of times it's nausea or digestive issues or heartburn. So it comes much differently and presents differently in women, and that's why it gets missed so much. Well, what you just described, I mean, I know that those are things that I could experience at any moment of any day. So how can we tell the difference between something that might be benign and a serious condition? Well, it's difficult. And what I tell my clients is that if you think it's your heart, get checked out because you're never wrong if you're not having a problem. But if you are having a problem and don't get checked out, you might be dead wrong. The problem with heart disease is that the first symptom in half the people with heart disease is a sudden death heart attack. You don't get a second chance. That's why we talk about in the book all of the things you should be doing to protect yourself. And most doctors are not trained at this cutting-edge medicine of functional personalized medicine to prevent a problem for you. So, Doctor, my mom had heart disease. She had 
major heart surgery, and then later on ended up passing away from complications of a stroke. I'm sorry. Um, for someone like me, what roles do genes play in whether or not it's passed on? Well, we were taught in medical school that genes are your destiny and that you have a fixed future to be who your parents were or your grandparents were. The beautiful news that is empowering is that your genetics are changeable. You change what your genetics express based on your the choices you make. So your genes load the gun, your choices pull the trigger. So we now know that genes, this concept of epigenetics, you can turn on good genes with good choices and you can turn on bad genes with bad choices. So you have the ability in your lifestyle choices to turn on the good genes or turn off the bad genes. Dr. Mark, you had mentioned that female hormones have a role in heart disease. So what part do the adrenal and the thyroid glands have in heart health? Well, Joan, I see it as this beautiful symphony. The thyroid and the adrenal have this intimate relationship we're just understanding. And there's millions of women that have thyroid problems that are not diagnosed because the ranges haven't been corrected at most labs. The TSH test, uh, if it's ever over 3.0, look at your most recent lab test. You probably have a thyroid problem. And 40% of the women who are on thyroid medicine are inadequately treated. So even when we identify it, we don't personalize it enough. And it's that whole symphony. They all have to work together and be a supporting cast for a woman to feel her best and be protected against things like heart disease. What can we do to support the adrenals and the thyroid that may not mean medication? For someone like me, I I hate the thought of taking any type of meds. So are there things that we can be doing naturally that can support the systems in keeping our heart healthy? Oh, Joan, you know, I get asked asked this three or four times a day, and, and none of us like medications, but they do have a role when they're needed. So I'm an internist. I do use medications when needed, but we all want to know what we can do to avoid them. And it's really the lifestyle choices. The first thing is, what are you eating on a given day? Can you make healthier choices with less carbohydrates, less processed food, less sugary food, uh, more organic if you can find it and afford it? So it's really looking at the food you do. How about sleep? That's one of the things you can control the most. Get rid of all the electronics in your room. Your bed is only for sleep. You shouldn't be eating in there, watching TV, reading. Turn the phone off. Leave it on airplane mode, ideally put it in a separate room when you go to bed. So there are these sleep parts that you can do, and sleep and clean food and clean water are probably the things you can control the most. Now, Doctor, this I found fascinating. You say that childhood trauma can be a big contributor to heart disease, even decades later. So what types of trauma are we talking about? Well, the uh, Center for Disease Control launched a large study uh, now 30 years ago looking at adverse childhood experiences. It's called the ACE score, A-C-E. You can, it's in the book. You can take it in the book or go online and find it. But it looks at the risk of health issues later in life based on the experiences you had as a child. There's a lot of trauma in our world, and this trauma can lead to uh, behaviors, habits, and, and chemical patterns in the body that make you more prone to have disease later in life from heart disease to liver disease to mood disorders. And it's something that I think everyone should look at. We look at it every single client that comes in. So lately, I've been on this new, (laughs) I have this new concept where I decided that I want to stick around uh, a little bit longer. And I'm (laughs) trying to figure out a way to get off the yo-yo dieting roller coaster that I've been on for all these years. And, And I want to learn more about how 
my body type plays into what I should eat for, you know, the best metabolism and for health. So what are the main body types in women and which ones put us at the greatest risk for heart disease? Well, Joan, you're asking great questions. And, you know, the problem with the diets or the first three letters are die. Yes. So we don't believe in <laughs> diets. We believe in personalized nutrition plans. And so everybody's different how you respond to certain foods and how you respond to other foods. And there is no magic diet that's out there. One of the things you look at is, is in your body type, and there are clues that the body tells us about how you use nutrition. Do you have little bumps in the back of your arm? Is your tongue coated? What are your fingernails like? All that tells us about is the food even getting to its source when you eat it. But for women, we see especially kind of a pear-shaped body type versus an apple-type body shape. And the apple type tends to hold more of the body fat in the midsection. And, you know, none of us like too much outside body fat. But as the doctor who cares about you, it's the inside body fat, what I call the hot fat or the visceral inflammatory fat. That's what drives all disease. This issue of fatty livers is an epidemic that's happening in our society due to things like diabetes. But your body shape tells you right away, is it an insulin problem, blood sugar problem? inflammation problem or is it more of a thyroid adrenal hormone problem and so the apple is more of the inflammation insulin blood sugar issue the pear is more of the hormonal issue then we have those other women who i like to call the skinny fat where they look lean but that hot internal visceral fat is actually very very high in our office we have a machine that checks your outer and your inner body fat to look for those sneaky people that are hiding that body fat because that's really the scary inflammatory fat that can lead to bad things for people. And that would have been my mother because if you looked at her, she was very thin and she had a very fast metabolism, we always said, but she ended up having heart disease. Well, you know, you talked about, and I'm certified in anti-aging, but I don't really believe in anti-aging. I don't really want to live to 120, but I want to be 80 and ski with my kids mm -hmm. and my grandkids. So it's really about this optimal vitality, this optimal aging. And that's really what I think we're all shooting for. So what can you tap into and what do you like to do? What are your passions that we can align all of those? Because you make the choice every day with your fork. Right. And it's really what you do, what you put in your body to really determine what are you going to be like at 85? Because, again, we can change the outcome of our genes based on our choices of stress management, sleep, and nutrition. It's a really exciting time. Doctor, a few moments ago you mentioned that our body – gives us subtle clues to whether or not there could be something going on with our heart. In addition to the type of body that we have, what are some other signs that we could look for that might be an indicator that it's time to see the doctor? Well, the first time I met a Chinese practitioner, she looked at my fingernails for 10 minutes and told me all of these things that were true about my health. So I became fascinated in um, Chinese acupuncture, Chinese nutrition, Ayurvedic, and naturopathics, because they look at the body. So in your fingernails, little white spots can mean a zinc deficiency. Lines and ridges and striations can mean poor absorption in the digestive tract. We see um, scalloped tongue, like a, a serrated steak knife on the side of the tongue. That can be low thyroid. We see patches on the tongue, which can be related to poor nutrient absorption or iron deficiency or a bright red tongue. We see what they call, unflatteringly, the buffalo hump or a large collection of fat on the back of the neck that can be insulin resistant. Little skin tags on the eyelids, that can be high triglycerides, one of the cholesterols. 
we see little bumps on the back of the arm. That can be fatty acid poor absorption or even food sensitivities. So you see a lot in the body even before we start asking or taking any lab tests. We can tell a lot about the body's health just by listening and by observing. So it's a good practice for us to get in tune with our body, to even stand in front of a mirror and study it and get to know what we look like on quote-unquote normally and when there might be some subtle changes. And in the book, we have different descriptions of how you can do a lot of this medicine yourself. Now, you have to be careful trying to become Dr. Google, but I'd ask everyone to empower themselves about their own health. Listen to shows like yours, Joan, and there's so much great information that's being provided. So when you go to see your doctor, you have an agenda and a plan and get what you need from your doctor. Dr. Mark, we're hearing so much these days about the gut-brain connection. How does this connection factor into heart disease? Well, you know, we call the gut the second brain, and it might actually be the first brain. Serotonin is one of the mood chemicals, and everybody thinks all of it is in your brain. 90% of it is in your gut. So a lot of the chemicals that your gut makes and uses are the same ones that your brain uses. And the vagus nerve is a nerve that runs through your entire body, talks to every single organ, and it starts in the brain. So there's a a chemical relationship, an immune and neurotransmitter relationship, and a direct physical nervous tissue link from the brain to the gut. And I think we're just learning how what happens to the gut happens to the brain. That's why things, you feel them in the pit of your stomach, why events can be gut-wrenching. We have these colloquial terms that we've had throughout history that really have spoken of that relationship, and now science is really helping us describe. The beauty of it is when you're good to your gut, you're good to your brain. So what should we be eating then on a daily basis to be good to our gut, brain, and heart? Well, we all are talking about the probiotics, which are the little bacteria inside of us. What's fascinating, Joan, is that there's 10 times more bacterial cells in your body than human cells. Half of the DNA that's in your body, that's the genetic code, it's not yours. It's this bacterial balance in your gut. And so the probiotics are important, but the prebiotics, which are what the probiotics eat, are even more important. And you don't have to buy them at the health food store. They're in your food. It's the fiber that's in your food. It's the pickled vegetables, the kimchi, the sauerkraut, all those things that we were always told to eat that we don't know much about or don't like. But they do really, the food that you eat feeds that ecosystem. And uh, if you need an antibiotic, you need an antibiotic. But if you're doing everything else right, you protect that environment so you don't have the damage that the antibiotic can do on that system. It's crucial to your overall health. And we say in functional medicine, it all starts with the gut. And so what are the things that we should be avoiding? What is your philosophy on eating grains, dairy, sugar, processed foods? Well, the easy answer for that list is the processed foods. The less, the better. We just... It's, it's abysmal what we're providing for our kids in schools and what most of us tend to be eating, the fast food, the high fructose corn syrup, the processed food. So really trying to eat clean food. And one great source is the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org. talks about the clean 15 and the dirty dozen. It's a great place to start to look at clean food. It's really the berries, the dairies, and the meats. That's where most of your toxins are because they're not protected. And so really trying to figure out what is best for you and eating a whole balanced diet. And the Mediterranean diet, if you were to challenge me, I'd say probably is the best. So not all grains are bad and not all grains are bad for all people. The healthy whole grains tend to be okay for some, but for some they just don't seem to be good. 
So it's really developing a panel for you. And there's actually a food sensitivity test we do here in our office that can personalize what foods your body does well with versus what foods cause it to fire off inflammation. Doctor, if someone thinks they have a problem with their heart, what types of tests should be done in order to make a diagnosis? Well, thank you for asking, Joe, because in medical school, we're taught about the basic cholesterol panel, and you look at the good part and the bad part, and you make a decision based on a risk score. Well, I think that's so not personalized, and it's so 1975. What we now have is a technology to break apart the cholesterol into the very small inflammatory particles. And so there's good parts and bad parts of cholesterol. And even if your cholesterol is high, if it's full of the good parts, your risk is not the same as if it's the same high number but full of the bad parts. So we call it a fractionation or a cholesterol fractionated test where it breaks up the cholesterol into the smallest, stickiest parts. And those people with those need to be more aggressive at lowering it. And some people will need medications. But to decide who does, for men we do a calcium score, and for women we do a, a carotid intima media thickness. That's a fancy word for an ultrasound of the neck that looks at the, the lining level. So to really personalize your risk, and we can find the canaries in the coal mine. The people who are at risk for having a heart attack can be identified by these blood tests and by these imaging tests. And if you do a stress test, you have to do the right kind, stress ultrasound for women and stress nuclear study for men. So we don't like to radiate women's chests because we're worried about the risk of radiation. So we use ultrasound whenever we can. So the, the testing is out there. Your doctor may not, not even have heard about it. If you look at the book, it describes all the tests that you need and then how to do a one, two, three perfect view so that you're never at risk. And it's not expensive. It's something everybody can do and ask their doctor. But your doctor may not know it. So you could teach them about it. Doctor, for someone who may not have taken the best care of him or herself over the years, and there's damage, once the damage is found or, or the abuse on the body has been revealed, is it ever too late to repair the problem? Oh, that's such a great question. I, I don't think it's ever too late. What we find is even people who smoke after they quit, 10 years after they quit, their cancer risk is the same as someone who never smoked. So the data shows that you do get kind of a second chance. And I would just encourage everybody, start now and make one change. Maybe you take a walk with your spouse, your child, your dog after dinner. Make that the one thing you do and just do 10 minutes. Don't feel like you have to climb a mountain and start all over and, and do everything perfect. Find something that you like to do, that you want to do, and add that one at a time. And what you'll find is after you do one thing, you'll start doing more. You'll park at the end of the parking lot. You'll take the stairs at work. You'll do a couple laps around the um, outside lanes of the grocery store before you shop. You'll just do a little bit more, and one plus one equals ten. That's the beauty of all these lifestyle choices. The book is Heart Solution for Women, a proven program to prevent and reverse heart disease. If you would like to get more information about Dr. Mark and his work, you can visit themenoclinic.com. Doctor, in our final moments, what's the takeaway? What would you like to leave our listeners with? Well, I don't think that there's enough love and support on our planet and for each other. And the Mediterranean diet, its success may be that they ate as a family, as a unit, as a group, share a meal with someone, find people around you that have the same health motives, and then do it with a partner, do it with a family member, do it with your pet. Uh, make it a social event because it's the social connections that keep us all together. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us and for providing information that can help us take back our power and be good to our heart. 
This information is truly life-saving, so thank you. Thank you, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.